I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of famous and not-so-famous cases of murder, ghosts, legends, lore, with a healthy dose of sculling with a C, debunking. I like that we're qualifying that every time. Now. We have to. People we will question to. us if we don't, and I don't want anyone questioning us because this is definitely a rated G situation. <laughs> Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Sculling's rated G. Our podcast is not rated no, G, No, no, Just scarf. F- sculling with the C is G-rated. Okay, okay. That's, let me specify. Okay. But the rest of our podcast, we drop some F-bombs from time to time. So fair warning, if you don't like a cuss word, you might want to hang out somewhere else. Um, well, there's also the murder talk. That oh, is, yeah, we do talk about dead yeah. people pretty frequently. <laughs> that to so, me is maybe a little more alarming than the occasional F-bomb. That's true. Um, I guess it just depends on your perspective. Although I will say... Uh, you encourage the swearing. I know, I love it. Like you <laughs> encourage me. I and this. I don't know if Gabby's going to keep this in, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Gabby encourages me to drink more when we're recording. It's more fun because I'm more likely to start swearing more, and also the filter comes off more, and it yeah, becomes more entertaining. And that way, not only is it more entertaining for me, it's more entertaining for you, our listeners. So I'm going to now take my water bottle and cheers to him <laughs> with her wine glass so that way I am hydrated and she is whiny. I'm whiny. Yeah, wine tonight, not whiskey. That's okay. Wine's still a good time. I'm going to add that option to the Patreon. Uh, if you'd prefer to pay Kim in booze rather than money, I will tell you where you can send any whiskey, wine, or other kinds of alcoholic beverage donations. And then send a tip to me because I don't drink. I just appreciate the tip. Thanks. Yeah, but she appreciates when I drink. So there you go. <laughs> it's just like a vicious cycle. It's like you're providing us like gasoline that will help run the machine of this podcast. <laughs> help us help you, truly. Help us help you. So, I mean, we could banter all day. Uh, and, you know, we do love a good banter moment, which we'll we probably have throughout. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so excited because Kim has not told me what our topic is. And I have not no intentionally. idea. Not no, intentionally. But I love when you don't tell me because then I get really excited. It's like with the Enfield poltergeist and you play all of the sound effects and you see my crazy eyes on Zoom. So um, I'm excited to hear about what our topic is for today. Your crazy eyes are my favorite. <laughs> I love giving you crazy eyes. Oh, we are actually leaving the United States today. Ooh, we're taking a trip. We are taking a trip over to Bavaria. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and what's really interesting about this case is that in Germany, it it is fairly infamous. Uh-huh. Uh, there's been a lot of books that have been written on the topic. There was a play. There's movies. Uh, and yet here, and this is something I found out the hard way, very few of these books have been translated into oh, no. English. Wait, did you have to learn German to research this? Oh, I have some stories about the Google Translate that I uh, have <gasps> Oh, I think I saw you post something about German translation on, German on some kind of social on, media. On the Facebooks, yeah. Yes. Uh, we will be talking today about the Hinterkaifeck farm murders. Oh, Oh, Gabby just made a good face. I think I know about this one. (laughs) It's, I mean, even here, it is a a recognizable case for those of you who are into the true crime, partially because it is fairly bizarre. Yeah. But it does not have the notoriety here that it does in 
Germany. But the, the very bare bones of this case is that in the spring of 1922, on a small Bavarian farmstead, six people were brutally murdered and their bodies were left in a barn. Mm. Now, this mystery would baffle police and the small local community, and it remains officially unsolved to this day. That is wild. Yeah. But as much, you know, I have to say, this is a case I've, I've actually talked about before. I remember talking about it uh, on a panel at Crypticon, I think last year. And I've known about it for quite a while. There's been other podcast episodes and, you know, you hear references to it. Mm-hmm. Doing this deep dive, there is stuff I didn't realize and stuff that has been misreported. Oh, you love to correct that. I do love to correct that. So, uh, no, it, it, researching this was really interesting because it's it's almost a hundred year old case, right? right. Nineteen twenty two, yeah. basically a hundred years. And and as I said, you know, most of what has been really written on this has been in German. Um, I was able to get one book that has been really poorly translated, and then I, I watched this documentary from nineteen ninety one called Hinterkaifeck on the Trail of a Murderer, which was by Kurt uh, Heiber. Heber, Heiber. But so even this documentary, it did not come with English subtitles. Oh, no. (laughs) I had to go with an auto translate feature, which was not awesome. Um, I actually had to, and this is what you saw on social media. I made a plea to anyone who might speak German to help me with a couple chunks of it. And a a, a absolutely lovely human uh, who I'm going to give a quick shout out to, Daniel. Thank you so much for your help translating some of this documentary for me. Uh, You are amazing and we love you. So despite what some people think, Hinterkaifeck is not named for a town or a really specific place. The name literally means behind Kaifeck. Kaifeck is the name Who's (laughs) Kaifeck? Kaifeck was another, it was an area nearby. So it'd be kind of like saying, it's an unofficial name for the home. It'd be like me saying, oh, you know, the house that's behind the park, the blue house behind the park. Okay. Like, isn't that like the house at the end of the street? Sure. (laughs) Okay. Are you thinking of the movie? Yeah. Okay. Little girl who lives down the lane. Now we're just saying movies. Mm -hmm. The farm was owned by Victoria Gruber Gabriel. 35. Uh, she was a widow. Her husband had died in the early days of World War I, sometime December of 1914. She lived on the farm with her father, Andreas Gruber, 63. Her mother, Kazelia Gruber. Ooh, I like her name. I know. It's a great name though, right? Kazelia, yeah. uh, who was 72. And her two children. Now, her eldest daughter was also named Kazelia because of course... Hashtag everyone's named Kazelia. Hashtag everyone's named Kazelia. Uh, she was referred to as Seely. And so to avoid confusing her with her grandmother, we are also going to call her Seely. Sounds good. Yeah. She was seven years old. And then Victoria's youngest son, Yosef, Joseph, who was two years old. And then their brand new maid, Maria Baumgartner, who was 44. Okay. So any of you who are keeping score at home, you might notice that Joseph is about two and a half years old and Victoria's husband died about seven years prior. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) It's interesting. Uh, Little Joseph had a different father. 
And his paternity, his exact paternity is something that was much debated and actually plays into this case. Mm, Interesting. So Victoria, she grew up on the farm with her parents and two half-siblings. Her mother, Kazelia, had been married before, had four kids in her previous marriage. Uh, When her husband died, she married Andreas Gruber, who worked on the farm and was nine years younger than her. Get it. Yeah, go Kazelia. Yeah. Uh, Victoria was the only child of Andreas and Kazelia who survived to adulthood. Sad. Well, it was 1920s Germany, you know. That's true. Uh, So Victoria married a local man named Carl Gabriel, and Celie was born almost nine months after their marriage took place. But at that point, Carl was already dead. Yikes. Yeah. World War I was not kind. No. So the the family regularly attended church nearby on Sunday. Victoria apparently had a beautiful singing voice. She was nicknamed the Lark of Hinterkaifeck or something along those lines. Thank you, Google Translate. All right. Right. Uh, Andreas was not as well liked, though. He was, uh, if you believe the gossip and rumors about the family, he could be abusive. Oh, no. One neighbor actually later gave some testimony and said, I'll say it very openly. The people weren't good. I mean, if a German is saying someone's not good. Ooh. At that point in time. <laughs> You're just laying back there. I like it's it. It's just questionable in my opinion. Well, and, and it was kind of well known that the children were mistreated when they were young. In fact, there was even speculation that their mistreatment, their maybe not being fed properly, led to some of their deaths. Oh, sad. It's very sad. On top of that, though, sadder still. Oh, no. Yeah. Both Victoria and Andreas were convicted of incest oh. in 1915. Oh, no. Why? People, come on. Uh, I mean, I could tell you why. Uh, <laughs> not, yeah, not good. Um, but think. let that sink in for a second, because... Pun intended? Ew, oh, gross. No. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, sorry. 1915. Her husband died in 1914. Oh, no. Andreas Gruber was sentenced to one year in prison. Victoria was sentenced to one month in prison. Hmm. And there's actually evidence that the abuse started as early as 1903 when Victoria was 16 years old. Oh, man. At least that's the first time she confided to a neighbor that her father was abusing her. Oh, that's awful. Which means it was probably happening before that. Right. Because if she's waiting, like you, I mean, most likely are not going to go tell someone something right when it happens the first time. Uh, And he had even forbid her from ever remarrying. So, you know, stand up guy. Real stand up guy. So Celie, she was also born in 1915. Now, most likely, Carl Gabriel was Celie's father, but it is a little suspicious. So then we have little Joseph. Victoria had starred an affair with a neighbor, Lawrence Schlittenbauer. Ooh, get it. Love that name. Schlittenbauer. Put it into hashtag Kim's favorite names. I do. It is very pleasing to say, to say Schlittenbauer. I'm going to be butchering probably a lot of these German names because uh, I took French in high school. And because they're German names. 
Well, I, I, my mom's side of the family is, is part German, but it, it has not translated over to me. Uh, I'll forgive <laughs> Other you. than my drinking. <laughs> Touche. Anyway, she had an affair with Lawrence Schlittenbauer in 1918. He was the seemingly obvious candidate for being Joseph's father. Uh, Lawrence also, he wanted to marry Victoria, but it didn't happen. And Lawrence would accuse Andreas of being Joseph's father. Drama. Drama. In fact, shortly after Joseph was born, Lawrence would like formally accuse Andreas of incest again in 1919. And he was arrested again. Wait, so how does one formally do that? Did they just report it to the police? And you're like, yo, they're making incest. <laughs> that's how they'd say it too. That's that's the formal. Oh, way they're making incest. They Can are we making do it. something about that. Not to not to make light because it's horrible. And 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 Victoria was being horrifically abused. Absolutely, but to say that you're making incest to the police is a very funny phrase. I'm just going to say that. So Andreas was arrested, but he was ultimately released. And Victoria sued Lawrence for what was basically child support. Uh, they would settle. So we're going to jump ahead a little bit to March of 1922. Some strange things happened on the farm. Uh-oh. In the days leading up to the crime, in fact, a lot of strange things are happening. There was evidence of an attempted break-in on the door to the feed room. What's a feed room? It's where you keep, like, food for your animals. Okay. Just like, sorry. Feed, didn't know. Food, feed, Got feed, it. feed, food. Not feed. a kitchen. Not, no, <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't poor Google translate. That's just, it's a farm. <laughs> so, you know, you got different sections of the farm. Uh, you keep the feed, the food that, see now, now the words are starting to lose meaning because I've said them too many times. Feed, food, food, feed, feed, food, feed, food, feed. <laughs> there were footprints in the snow, which were seen leading up to the farm, but none were leading away. That's shady. That's a lot of things. <laughs> That's creepy is what it is. It's not shady. It's creepy. Like, where did the footprints go? Did it just right. stay in the farm? Oh, yeah. Right up to the... Did it right turn into the- an animal? No. This is not... We're not talking about the Jersey Devil. Oh, <laughs> You're mixing up your episodes. getting Gabby. excited. Gabby, this is... You okay. so weird. As, well, yeah. Okay, here's the thing, though. As much as a supernatural spin has tried to be put on this case, I am here to thoroughly scully every bit of that. Damn it. Yeah, you're welcome. God That's why you love it. me. That's why I you do love, love you. Mm-hmm. I do. I'm very, lo- I'm very much looking forward to you telling me that this is not the Jersey Devil. It's not the Jersey Devil! There you go. Because it's not Jersey. The German devil. The the joke I was going to make, I'm not going to make. Because it feels inappropriate. Damn it. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. So that same night, either Victoria or her mother are said to have fled from the house in fear. There's conflicting reports there. A lot of this testimony was actually given 10 years and in some cases 20 or 30 years after the fact. And so... I noticed some inconsistencies, which is fair. When a decade or more goes by, you do start to lose some of your memory on the subject. Sure. A newspaper was also found on the property, which no one in the house subscribed to, like a random newspaper on the front step. And it was weird enough, like Andreas was bothered enough by it that he actually questioned the postman being like, dude, sup? Why is this? Did you bring this? Did you leave this? Do you know somebody who would have left this? 
So did he think that like the postman was shady? Was he the one whose footsteps we thought were going? No, I don't think it was specifically the postman. I think it was, there's some weird things happening. And, and the thing he was probably thinking is someone's trying to rob me Mm. because the, the family was fairly well off. So I think in his mind, he's thinking there's people conspiring to try and rob me. And so I want to see if, if the postman has seen anything, if the postman left this here by mistake, that would be an easy explanation as to why it showed up. But I don't think it was, I think you did this. I think it was just, do you know anything about this since you're the postman and you deliver things? Because also their farm was pretty remote. That makes sense. Okay, fair. A house key had gone missing. Oh, that's really sketch. Yeah. And it's not like you can just call the locksmith easily. Especially if they're remote. Yeah. Hmm. The padlock on the barn had been broken and a cow in the stable was untied. Just weird, right? It's just weird. That is bizarre. Now, welcome to Kim debunking something. So. I welcome it forever. When you read most English accounts, uh, there's a lot of talk about the sound of footsteps being heard in the attic. In fact, there are reports that footsteps were heard in the attic up to six months before the murders took place, which is why some people are like, ooh, it's a ghost. And I'm like, or a, you got a person living in your attic. That's probably Or you have likely. a trash panda up in the attic. Or you have an adorable trash panda. <laughs> Feats. Or bats. <laughs> bats with really big boots. Bats with big boots. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. Bats with big boots. Bats with the oh, that's hard. <laughs> bats, bats with big boobs. What? <laughs> that was my nickname in high school. No, it wasn't. <laughs> nope. nope. Boobs. Okay. okay, had to. Anywho. Sorry, keep going. Anywho. Now, allegedly, Andreas searched the farm, searched the attic, did not find anything. And if you are to believe the accounts that are usually reported about this, their maid, their former maid, had quit because she was so afraid the house was haunted. Mm. Okay. Here's, here's the thing, though. So when you start to break down the dates, the records, the former maid quit sometime the end of August 1921. So that's a good seven months prior to the murders, right? Yeah. She testified in 1952 when they had reopened the investigation again. And she does say that the door to her room kept opening and that freaked her out a little bit. I mean, rightfully. But also, there's a lot of very rational reasons why the door to the room could be coming open that aren't ghosts. Like it might just have like a gravity issue or the lock isn't working. The lock isn't working. It's not getting closed properly. The floor is uneven. And so it's catching a draft. Um, Creepy stuff too. Like, you know, Andreas is kind of a perv and he keeps opening it up to spy on her. Like there's a lot of things you could jump to before ghost. That's true because we always talk about how people are worse than ghosts generally, right? People are so much worse than ghosts. And here's the thing. She witnessed... The incest happening. She talked about walking in on on Andreas and and Victoria. So where she does say she was creeped out by the door opening and that she thought it could be a ghost. She also talked about the fact that a man named Joseph Thaler, who was a local farmer, kept coming to her window. Oh, 
What is with creepy dudes? And he was trying to get information on the family and how to get in and be like, hey, girl, let me in. So I'm like, I don't know. Maybe the guy knocking on her window is the thing that made her say, I'm kind of over this. Like incest and doors opening and creepy guys at my window. You know what? I'm out. This is not worth it. You don't pay me enough for this. I feel like there might be some levels of like mental health instability where people are taking something very real and turning it into something like a ghost. Yeah. It's that actually reminds me very much of the Bell Witch. Yeah. Situation. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that. You'll go back and listen to it. Well, she'd also had a baby like six months prior to that, too. I mean, there's a lot of things where I'm like, yeah, I can understand why she'd want to leave. Sure. Um. And I, I will say that that Joseph Thaler, the neighbor who was knocking on her window, this is going to come into play later. So just put that away. On that. Yeah, okay. put that away. But what got really, really frustrating is when I started doing my deep dive, almost every English language media report references the maid quitting because she was hearing footsteps in the attic and thought there was a ghost. And in all fairness, I, this was something I heard so often, I thought it was true. I mean, that happens often, so I don't blame you. Yeah. The most I could find was that the morning of the murders, while shopping in town, Andreas and Kazelia complained that they were hearing noises the previous night, and they complained that the cattle had been untied. And Victoria apparently also mentioned something while she was shopping about hearing some noises. So, okay, yeah, night before the murder... People were hearing things, but this was not six months of constant spirit presence. Like that's, that's bogus. Sure. So if if that's a part of the story that you have heard, there is no credible evidence. 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 If you can point me towards some, I will happily read it. Although again, I don't read German. (laughs) If you can read it and translate for Kim... She'll listen. I will listen. But in in what I was finding, the only thing I could find with the maid was the stuff about the door. So this brings us to March 31st of 1922. Little Celie walking home from school with two of her friends. It is the last confirmed sighting of her alive. All sad. The new maid, Maria Baumgartner, she arrived at the house with her sister at about 5 p.m., She's 44 years old, had worked her whole life. Her sister, Franziska, would later describe her sister as thus. She'd say, my sister was a little mentally limited, had a short foot, and therefore a limping gait. So Maria's sister dropped her off, uh, left at about 6 p.m. or so, and most likely outside of the murderer, she was the last person to see the family alive. That's so sad. It's really sad. So the next morning, April 1st, two coffee sellers arrive to take the family's coffee order, which P.S., can we get door-to-door coffee service? That's awesome. Uh, That's called Postmates. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, No one was home. So uh, they did note, however, that the gate to the machine room was open. But they didn't see anybody, so they were like, all right, well, I guess nobody's home. That same evening, a carpenter by the name of Michael Pluckle? Pluckle? What's when it's got little umlauty things over it, the two little dots? Is it a Pluckle? Pluckle. Maybe it's Pluckle. 
Michael, like Michael Pluckle's pretty funny though. I I like the name no matter what. Uh, he walked past the property and he reported that he was blinded by a stranger with a flashlight. Dun dun dun. He, dun dun dun. But he also took note that the fire was burning in the oven. There's a chimney going. Like they see smoke. Somebody's got there. it. People are home. Family didn't come to church on Sunday, April 2nd. A little weird. On Monday, April 3rd, the postman noticed that Saturday's mail was still there where he had left it. And he'd later testify again, forgive Google Translate for this translation. As usual, I put the newspaper in the kitchen window. The only thing that struck me was that I didn't see the pram in the kitchen as it usually was while I was walking. The kitchen door itself was half open. I would also like to say that I watched the child who always rocked himself in the car on my deliveries through the kitchen window. So a normal part of his schedule would be to see the family home, to see the baby in the kitchen in his little, in his little pram. He didn't see anything. Celie didn't come to school on Saturday, April 1st, Monday the 3rd, Tuesday the 4th. That's super weird. I that's, feel like that's the one thing that probably was like, okay. But you also, I mean, it's, it's late April. They live on a farm. She could be sick. They might need her help on the farm. Like, it's weird, but there's also, it's not like this is today where that's you true. Just, you know, where you have to call in if your kid's not coming to school. Like, they didn't have electricity on the farm. Right. It wasn't quite at the point where anyone was like, we need, and, and again, they're seeing smoke from the chimney. That means somebody's there. So the assumption is probably, it's strange, but she's probably sick. On Tuesday, April 4th, Albert Hoffner, a mechanic, came to repair the motor for the feed cutting machine. He heard the cows mooing in the barn and he heard, this is important, he heard the dog barking inside the house. So he waits because there's no one home. He waits for about an hour. And when no one comes out, he's like, all right, we've already had to reschedule this repair a couple times. I'm just going to start repairing the motor. And he made a point of making a lot of noise. So assuming, you know, if the family's gone, they won't be freaked out because they'll hear I'm here. And so they'll know like, oh, hey, I'm in the barn repairing the motor. It's cool. Right. So he finishes. But when he's leaving, he noticed the barn door was opened. Which it wasn't before. Well, he couldn't recall. Huh. But it was enough that he stopped and took note of it. And the dog is now tied out front. But he was barking inside. That's what he thought. Hmm. But he's like, okay, something seems kind of weird. The home looks strange. <sighs> okay, something's not sitting right with me. And he still hasn't seen anybody. He just he sees that the seen dog anybody. is outside. Yeah. But, you uh, know, I mean, it's also one of those things where you're like, was the dog outside? Am I remembering right. wrong? Was there like... Where's the barking actually coming from? Maybe it's right. in a certain way. Yeah, sure. you you do kind of question like, oh, I'm just being paranoid. But it was enough that when he got back to town, he contacted Lauren Schlittenbauer. Well done. Who, along with his, his uh, well, he, first he sent his two sons to go check. And his sons are like, we didn't see anything. And so Lawrence is like, mm, this is still weird. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to check. So they, him and, and a couple others went to check. And when they all first got there, everything looked deserted. They go into the barn. And again, they note there is no electricity. They note how dark it looks. No smoke? No. Well, there wouldn't be smoke in the barn. But That's yeah, true. no smoke from the house. Got it. But as they moved further into the barn, 
they would see a truly alarming sight, which is the bodies of Andreas and Cazelia, Celie and Victoria, stacked one on top of the other. Oh my God. Their heads beaten in. Oh no. They're buried under hay and either a door or board. I got variations on the translation there as to what exactly it was on top of them, but they were covered and that there was blood pooling around them. Oh no. Now Schlittenbauer moved the bodies because he said he was trying to locate his son, which very likely could have been true, but it also disturbed the scene. Which is a big no-no. It's a big no-no, but to be fair, it's a bigger no-no now than it would have been in 1922. True. When they enter the house, they see that there's burning bread on the stove. Uh, They see Celie's blackboard for school on the table. They go upstairs to the maid's quarters and they find Maria's body. Oh, no. She's lying on her side. Her head is almost under the bed. She's still dressed in her clothes and her shoes. It looked like she was in the midst of unpacking. And had sheets or a feather bed put on top of her. This is another time where, again, the the various translations (laughs) were a little unclear. But there was something, once again, put on top of her. So all of the bodies so far have been covered in some manner. So whoever did this didn't want to see what they had done or tried to at least cover it up. Yeah, typically covering a body suggests some level of remorse. So they go into Victoria's room and there's the pram where Joseph slept, uh, covered in one of Victoria's dresses. They lift the dress and they find Joseph's body. Oh no. His head is caved in. Blood and brain matter staining the surface around him. Victoria's bedroom had been ransacked. Her wallet's empty. Uh, Cupboards are open. Things have been rifled through. But even though her wallet was empty, there was still a lot of other things that could have been stolen if robbery was the primary concern. Interesting. Like what, what else was around, did it say? Valuable. So like there was still jewelry around. It looked like there was still cash in other rooms. There was, there was you know, like if, if I'm somebody who's coming and I'm murdering an entire family because I'm robbing them, mm-hmm. I'm going to do more than go through one woman's wallet. If I've ransacked a room, that implies I'm looking for something. So why wasn't right. more stuff taken is my question. So do you think it almost was like a ransacking to cover up the murders and make it look like a robbery with it not necessarily <sighs> being the intention of robbery? Or they were looking for something else would be my only other. If there was something else specific they were looking for that led to them ransacking and then stealing stuff from the wallet was a convenient way to cover up. But it's it's hard to say. Sure. So the police are called in Munich. It takes them a couple hours to show up. And because there's no electricity on the farm, when they arrive, it's already dark. They can't really do a whole lot. So it's not really till the next morning that the investigation fully gets underway. It's now April 5th. Uh, They took pictures. In fact, some of these crime scene photos do exist, and we will post a few of them to our Instagram. There are photos of the bodies. Uh, By today's standards, they are not particularly graphic, but they're dead bodies. So, you know. That's why we're not rated G. That's why we're not rated G. Now, what was interesting is that the technology did exist then to take fingerprints, but no fingerprints were taken. 
Hmm. Why do you think that is? Honestly, I think it's because the scene was too contaminated at that point. Yeah, the bodies have been moved and then they tried to restack them to kind of recreate it. But you'd had all these guys traipsing through. At this point, any fingerprints you find, it's going to be really hard to... Like decipher. Well, again, if, if you don't contain a scene everything becomes a little meaningless because who's to say you find some fingerprints? Well, maybe somebody came through for an hour and then left before the police got there because they were bringing something in. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, not to use a ghost hunting analogy, but like, it's why we have to be so meticulous. If you can't trace your evidence, then it's worthless, right? Totally. So I think by the time the police showed up and they saw how kind of that shit it all was it's like eh, it's really no point to take fingerprints especially in 1922 when they're not they don't have the same kind of level of procedure that we have today for sure uh they would find blood splatters on the barn door and the dog the family dog did have some kind of injury on its eye oh poor baby but he's okay he was he was a little stressful and was ultimately sent to live with somebody else and then lived out the rest of his life oh good pup so they're they're investigating the attic and they do find prints in the hay, like two different prints, like people had been lying there. Were there ghosts in the prints making um, the print? No, because ghosts don't make prints in the hay. Humans make prints in the hay. <laughs> Sorry, Scully to... can't. Scully can't. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> ghosts do not make motherfucking prints in the hay, Gabby. There she is. There she is. We've hit that point in my wine bottle. Hashtag Scully. Uh, there was also, there was a rope attached, the cross bean. So like the, the investigators are like, well, that's a way you could have, the, they could have left. They could have been sleeping in the attic. Well, and that's the thing. It, it means that, does the possibility exist that there were people sleeping in the attic? Yeah. Could it have been perpetrators? Sure. Could it have been vagrants? Also true. Like... Could it have been really big trash pandas? Maybe not. (laughs) Really big, with really adorable butts. Are there trash pandas in Germany? I don't know, but there should be just for the sake of the story. I'm going to have to look that up now. It's going to bother me. Okay, I'll look it up while you're talking. Thank you. You're welcome. So they're interviewing everybody, uh, trying to piece together what could have happened. And it, it looked like Victoria had been killed first. She had signs of strangulation as well. And that's interesting for a couple of reasons. Manual strangulation, meaning using your hands and not using like a cord or something, that can be a very personal thing. Like if you're strangling somebody, you're often looking into their eyes while doing so. It's oftentimes very spontaneous. There can be a sexual component to it for some killers. None of the victims showed defensive wounds either. Which means one of two things. Either they were completely taken by surprise Mm -hmm. or they knew the killer. Or both. Or both, yeah. Do you have a trash panda answer for us? I do. I just didn't want to interrupt you. Nope, go for it. What's the answer on the trash panda? Apparently there are trash pandas in Germany, but the first raccoons were brought to Germany in 1920 to be bred in captivity for their pelts. Oh, buddies. So there was probably no trash pandas hanging out in their attic. Unless they were trying to escape being skinned, and that's why they hung out in the attic, and that's why maybe they were really big. I don't know. Big pelts? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I like that we go from talking about this horrible, horrible murder 
to making raccoon jokes. And now back to some murder. And now back to the murder. <laughs> and now back to the murder. So Victoria had been strangled. That most likely did not kill her. She was then struck on the head with a blunt instrument. Mm. Now, it would take them a while. In fact, they did not find the murder weapon until about a year later. What? Really? That's crazy. Which I'll get into. But ultimately, what they discovered is that a tool called a mattock, which is an agricultural tool, it shapes kind of like a pickaxe, but it's a little bit more blunt, not quite as pointed Mm -hmm. as a pickaxe is. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, well, and it's why I get annoyed in some of the articles where I see it called that everyone was killed with a pickaxe because they really weren't. In fact, in some ways, this is a little bit more horrible because it's, it's big and because it's a little more blunt, oh, that's not a pleasant way to die. It appears they were killed one by one. So Victoria would have been first. Kazelia most likely was next. And this is based both on how they were stacked, but also the fact that both Victoria and Kazelia were still wearing their clothes, their like daytime clothes, mm-hmm. meaning they probably went out before. Andreas came out after and he was wearing some kind of sleep clothes. And then Celie. In what is maybe the most upsetting thing about this entire case is that Celie appeared to have lived for two to three hours after she was struck. Oh no, that's awful. And she was so distressed, she was pulling out clumps of her hair because (gasps) they found clumps of her hair in her hands. God, that's terrible. Yeah. And this again, this little seven-year-old child. Breaks my heart. That's awful. So after this, the killer went into the home went into Mariah's room, killed Mariah, and then baby Joseph was last. This is where things get even more creepy because the killer did not just leave. Did he stay and cook a meal? It got even creepier. The killer took care of the farm. Just remember, this is the 31st. This is the evening of the 31st. Everyone was killed. They didn't find the bodies till the 4th. And yet during that time, the cows were milked. The animals were fed reports of fire in, in the home because you could see the chimney, the smoke coming smoking, from the chimney. Smoking, that's right. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't know exactly how long the person stayed, but it is possible that the killer was still in the home when the repairman came on the 4th. Maybe he let the dog out. Maybe he let the dog out. Maybe that's what finally made him leave. Huh. We don't know. That is wild. It's creepy. So they bring out uh, the doctor to conduct autopsies. Andreas Gruber, as I'd mentioned, was dressed for bed. He had a facial wound so bad that one of his cheekbones was exposed. Ugh. Celie showed, tragically again, because she lived for a couple hours, if someone had found her fairly quickly, she probably would have survived if she had received medical treatment. So question, I mean, I don't know if you have the answer to this, but if this killer did hang out long enough to feed the animals, right? do you think he or she was aware that Celia was still alive? I think if, because Celia was killed, uh, they think that she was the last one killed before he went in the house. So it's possible that he did not know or they, because it could have been more than one person, mm-hmm. did not know she was still alive, that he, they struck her, 
left her and then went straight into the house. So it, I believe, I honestly believe if the killer knew she was still alive, they would have delivered another blow. That's true. Because no one else had been left suffering. And she was suffering. That's so sad. It's, it, that is, again, that's the thing I personally find to be the most tragic about this is that you have this poor little seven-year-old girl who is laying there with her mother's body and her grandmother's body and her grandfather's body in a barn slowly bleeding out and how much awareness she had. And, and again, may or may not have recognized the killer. That's so sad. She had uh, wounds on her chin and her throat. And she was dressed for bed. Kazelia was hit seven times in the head. Wow. Yeah. That's and a that lot. actually, it cracked her skull. Victoria was hit so hard that the right side of her face as well as her skull were smashed. And she had nine wounds on her head, uh, described oftentimes as star-shaped, which I imagine had been from the, the specific tool. Maria died of her head wound. Baby Joseph was struck just once. He was struck through the top of the pram, but he was hit so hard it split his skull. Oh my God. And that's why it left blood and brain matter. Ugh. Yeah. That's awful. Who does that? That's crazy. Someone who is not well. Agreed. Now... In an added bonus of... This is your added bonus of weird trivia. Apparently, it was standard practice at the time to remove the heads. What? Oh, I think I remember hearing about this. They removed the heads of the people they were autopsying. That is bonkers. Oh, it gets better. So the bodies, they're sent to Munich, right? But after a while... They were sent to a clairvoyant. Why? Well, maybe she could pick something up from the heads. <laughs> you know, dial them in. I don't know. <laughs> Which <laughs> eyeballs dial them? Exactly. Um, can I put this in my will, though? Like, when I die, can you please send my head to a psychic just for funsies? Uh, yes, I can will make this? sure to execute that for you, pun intended. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So the bodies are buried without their heads. It's very Walt Disney of them. And the clairvoyant just has the heads? No, the, the, the heads went back to Munich, but then sometime during World War II, they went missing or were destroyed, most likely destroyed. Because you well, know, what was the purpose in decapitating the bodies? I don't get it. Well, to look at the wounds and make psychics talk to them and make fun hand puppets. <laughs> For every single death, they did that? For suspicious deaths, I mean, like for murders, I don't think this this wasn't like you know, grandma dies of a heart attack at the ripe old age of 108 and they cut off her head. Uh, <laughs> although, again, enjoyable, you can I just feel that. like Futurama of like the head in the capsule. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. I just think of the cryogenically frozen head of Walt Disney, so yes, which we still have to cover at some that's point. A, that's a whole other episode, so. Police are investigating. They're trying to come up with a motive. Money is a convenient one. Again, the groupers were pretty well off. Money had been stolen. But there was a lot of stuff that was left. And, and right. Victoria had apparently withdrawn all the funds from her bank account a few weeks prior. That seems little, kind of weird. It's a little odd. And she'd left, allegedly had left a 700 gold mark donation. 
for the church for quote unquote missionary work. Could this have been related? I don't know. Could it just be she was making a healthy donation to the church? I don't know. And like, this is where you start to go down the rabbit hole of all of the various theories. Okay, and so some of them. I'm so curious. Some of them are batshit, man. I want to hear the batshit ones first. Give me the batshit ones. Okay, well, the one that I personally found to be kind of the most bizarre is that the killer was none other than Victoria's dead husband, Carl Gabriel. Was he living in the attic? Well, so, okay, so, you know, you read some accounts and they're like, oh, they were killed by a vengeful ghost, which, I'm sorry, no, 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 no. Kim's still going. She really disagrees with this one. No. According to this theory, which if you could see Kim's skeptical face as she says, even says the word theory, like I'm kind of offended. Um, Carl didn't die in the war. Oh, things were chaotic. His body was never found for a proper burial. Their relationship was rocky from the start. And so Carl, after living for a few years, traipsing the land, discovering his manhood, decides I'm going to go home and reclaim my family. By reclaim, you mean? With my penis. Oh, sorry. Oh, (laughs) it's a little different. What do I find when I arrive to my home? My wife. With a new baby that I did not sire from my loins. Oh, gross. Well, that's how you sire things with your loins. <laughs> Hashtag loin sire. Hashtag loin sire. <laughs> and so I'm angry because I did not sire this child from my loins and I go into a rage. And so, I don't know, maybe I decide a good idea because I'm angry and horny is to murder people like it's it's i don't even understand how people can legitimately look at this as a real theory i mean do i question common sense in people every day so i'm not fully surprised about that tbh so like there was a death certificate there were even though they couldn't figure out exactly which body was his there were witnesses people who knew him who saw him fall so would you say that there was evidence there was evidence. evidence. And like, let's, all right, let's, let's even defy any brand of human logic and say that he didn't die. Would he really wait seven years when he's got a daughter too, like seven years when he has a kid already to come back and be like, oh, now I want to be a father, even though my wife thinks I'm dead. Oh, what's this? She has another baby. How dare she? That hussy. Like, no, that there's, there's, that's, there's so many reasons why this is just, I don't want to say dumb, but it's dumb. So you I'm going to say, say it. it. It's fine. Well, I try to, I'm trying to be more respectful of other people's opinions, even when it's stupid. <laughs> um, so anyway, <laughs> do you like that? I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Uh, so, and, and again, even though I've joked about it, like ghosts is an actual theory some people stick to. You have to remember to like, are these people currently? Yes. Feel that way? Yes. This is why I'm judging. I'm like, I am, no, I'm flat out. Where's my, I'm drinking wine and judging people glass because I am. There are people today (laughs) who think, who seriously think it was some kind of supernatural thing that murdered these people. And I believe in ghosts, but why? Wait, but is, does anybody (gasps) believe that there was an alien abduction? 
So far, no. Okay, well, then it could get worse. So don't encourage them. Gabby, don't encourage them. I'm just putting it into perspective. No, because somebody's going to listen to this. And the next thing we know, there's going to be a website saying it's aliens. And I object. It's not my fault. (sighs) So we also have (laughs) the Gump Brothers. Am I don't like Forrest? Yeah, like Forrest. No, except that their names aren't anywhere near as pleasant. Their names are Adolf and Anton. Oh, no. <laughs> it was 1922. Adolf was a very common name at the time. Okay. Less so this now. tasteful. Well, yes, be, but at 1922, nobody knew. Adolf had apparently participated in the murder of some, what I kept seeing described as peasants. <laughs> I, don't, I do not like the way that that sounds. I'm Neither do I. Right I kept now. trying to, like, I was like, is this Google Translate or do they still call people peasants in the 1920s in Germany? Uh, allegedly, he also had an affair with Victoria, but I found nothing to substantiate this. I was going to say, Victoria, dang girl, she gets around. Well, if you're to believe uh, Lawrence, Victoria initiated their entire relationship. They, he kept track. They had sex five times. I like that he kept track. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to feel about that. Like, it's one thing if you have sex with somebody once, then yeah, sure, you're going to remember that. But he kept track very specifically. No, we had sexual intercourse five times. I mean, Kay. maybe he was like someone that was just very... Gabby, have you kept track of how many times you've had sex with someone? No. No, because it's sure weird. Sure haven't. Yeah, because it's weird. <gasps> Because it's weird. I'm sorry. If you've kept track of exactly how many times you've had intercourse with a person, it's a little strange. I'm going to say it. I mean, and I say this as a strange person. But to be fair, if you're really into someone and like really want to make something happen and you want to use like numbers as a point of reference for like a pattern, she five times, man. But here's the thing. She, according to him, she was the aggressor in their relationship. Well, maybe so, they both had their own issues. I don't well, know. Oh, well, we're going to be getting to him, but there's a few people I want to talk about first. So, all right. We also had a man named Peter Weber. He popped up as a suspect because he allegedly tried to get another worker uh, at another farm. He talked about, oh, there's this nearby farm I know. It's Hinterkaifeck, and they have a lot of money. We should go kill them and rob them. I like that I've suddenly made him from, like, the valley. Uh, <laughs> Are you talking about my people? I, am. I feel like they're not German. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was also, I told you to press save on this name, Joseph Thaler uh-huh. and his brother, Andreas. Because, like, seriously... Everybody in Europe apparently just has the same freaking name. We got multiple multiple Cazelias, multiple Andreases. Uh, uh, now, both of the brothers, they were known for their less than high morals. They were, let's, I suppose, putting it another way. They were thieves. They, they robbed. They, they stole a lot of things. So it wouldn't be out of character for them to, like, Rob go things. into a place and yeah. turn well, it upside down. And they also, I mean, like, they tried to rob the property already. And apparently one of the reasons that they were banging on the maid's window was to be like, hey, can you tell us where there's some good hiding places on the property? Because that's a normal thing to ask a person. Um, at the end of the day, though, they're just, again, there wasn't enough evidence to suggest evidence that they would go from trying to rob the place to, like, brutally killing and butchering an entire family. Right, that's... Two very different things. Those are two very different things. And in fact, all in all, they looked at like a hundred people for the crime. And I found there's this great website in German. Uh, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But I, it was extremely helpful. It's uh, hinterkaifik.com, I think. Uh, it's in the sources. I may have gotten the uh, address a little wrong there. But it, it lists a very comprehensive amount of suspects, many more than who I'm covering here, because a lot of them were just people that were looked at kind of mildly. But it has information that I'd not seen really reported anywhere else. And again, That's interesting. It's in German. It has the complete original case files, but they are entirely in German and it's just scanned copies. So that I really couldn't look at that much, but I hope to anyway. So if anyone out there knows German fluently, let's, let's talk of all of these suspects though. One has stood out in a lot of people's minds and one sort of stood out in the police's mind. And that is our friend, Lawrence Schlittenbauer. Joseph's maybe father. And there were a number of things that kind of put him on the radar. There was all of the unpleasantness regarding Joseph's paternity, the money. Uh, Lawrence had remarried not too long before. His new wife had recently given birth, like right before the murders took place, his, his wife had given birth, but the baby died. Oh, sad. So that could have been something that pushed him into a not great mindset. And there were also reports that Victoria was going to start pushing him for more money. I also read an account that said the family dog reacted very strongly to his presence on the property after the murders. Oh, always trust your animals, man. Trust I'm just saying. your animals. Apparently the dog barked at him like the entire time he was there. Mm-hmm. And remember, too, he moved the bodies. Now, again, he said he was moving the bodies because he was looking for Joseph. But I moved the bodies. And if somebody is going to take fingerprints, this is a reason my fingerprints might be everywhere. That sounds super shady. But it's... And and one witness said that he didn't seem disturbed by any of the carnage. But I, I will say, it's a little too hearsay for me. And I do stand by people react to traumatic things differently. Mm -hmm. And I have never liked using how a person is behaving as a method of determining guilt or innocence. Well, it's hard to identify. It's hard to identify. We're getting, you know, you're getting things out of context and it's just, I mean, unless you're standing there grinning and giggling, that'd be a little weird, but otherwise you (laughs) That's 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 how I react. But, but the know. dog, trust the animals, man. Don't you wish you could just talk to that dog and be well, like, but, hey, man, was it him? But also, also, again, oh, I hate that I'm like scullying this. But if the dog is reacting to, I mean, the dog was a little bit more aggressive in general because he'd probably been mistreated. He had an injury and he'd in some capacity saw his owners murdered. Is he reacting specifically to the person that murdered him? Is he reacting to somebody who is vaguely the same shape and gender? Like my aunt's dog, he came from a, a dog farm and very sweet dog, but had been pretty horrifically abused. Very nice with people, except for the UPS man. That dog hated the UPS man. And my aunt's theory was that the UPS man looked like whoever owned the dog farm. And I've heard a lot of stories like that. So, I mean, again, I don't want to say that this this doesn't prove his innocence, but it doesn't prove his guilt. Particularly because it's it's an offhand comment I read from a case from 100 years ago. Right. I mean, it's all technically hearsay anyway. Not technically. It is hearsay, you know. So, yes, it could be 
sure, you could use that as a thing looking for guilt, but I also just find that you can't determine an entire case on that. Even today, looking back and judging it, there's other things I think we should use first. Like the fact that in 1926, there was a fire at his home that burned a bunch of the papers related to his custody dealings with Victoria. Hmm, that's convenient. He was brought in for questioning in 1931. Said some not awesome things about the family, including... God had the right hand at the right spot then about their murder. Well, which that's I guess is, pretty. Yeah. It's kind of a dick thing to say when two children were murdered, including one that is apparently your son. That's wild. Yeah. But, and, and he did contradict himself a little bit, but it's also 10 years after the fact. There was nothing that they could really say from his testimony in 1931 that they could bring him in as an official suspect. And he died in 1941. And most people who knew him described him as being helpful, good-natured, hard to believe that he could have committed these murders, but for most people, he is the primary suspect. I will one-up you with Ted Bundy doing dishes because he seemed to be very helpful, but also killed a whole bunch of people. And we could go down that meme. But but to, to let's, you know, not pretend our life is an internet meme because you're right but also even ted bundy's girlfriend in that picture called and reported him saying she thought it could be him totally most of those killers including ted bundy did light up someone's radar sure uh anyway that's neither here nor there a very recent theory put out by bill james in his book the man from the train which i read recently uh So this book documents a series of axe murders that happened in the United States from about 1898 to 1912. Hmm. And he believes that all of these murders were not just connected, but were pulled off by one man, a man by the name of Paul Mueller. And in the book, something James theorizes is that Mueller, who was apparently a German immigrant, perhaps returned to his home and committed the Hinterkaifeck murders as well. Interesting. Interesting. I don't... I feel like that's pretty far-fetched, I think it's excruciatingly far-fetched. If for no other reason, then the last recorded murder they could really tie to him here in the United States was 1912. So you're telling me this guy who murders people pretty steadily between 1898 and 1912 goes back and waits about a decade before doing another murder? That's... eh, eh. Most likely not. Most likely not, but I, I mean, intriguing. Like it's interesting to theorize on. Sure. If for no other reason than than some of the murders like this were happening more frequently than people were acknowledging or realizing. Now the farm itself was demolished in 1923, which, as I mentioned earlier, this is what led to them finally finding the murder weapon. Was when they demolished the farm. A monument was erected in honor of the victims. The case was opened off and on through the years. Most notably, uh, it used to be used a lot to teach uh, at the police academy. So in 2007, a group of students at the police academy uh, took another thorough look at this case, and they said that they believed they'd narrowed it down to one prime suspect, but they said it would be impossible to know for sure because there just wasn't enough preserved evidence. 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 And there's been talk about opening the graves to get DNA tests, mostly to see if they could prove Joseph's paternity. But that wouldn't have any impact on the case. Right. And the church won't allow it, so it's kind of a moot point. And out of respect for the family, 
that would still be alive from this prime suspect. They have never released their own findings as to who they believe to be the primary person responsible. So to this day, it remains officially unsolved and most likely will remain officially unsolved. That is wild. Yeah. And that is the Hinterkaifeck Farm murders. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I have heard some of that. I think I saw some TV special at some point. Yeah. Well, look at it. Episode of it. Yes. Which I will say full disclosure, I started to watch out of curiosity and because I was trying to find anything that was in English at this point. Sure. I stopped because they were there was just so much stuff with the ghosts and I I, I didn't follow through <laughs> too, so I too can't much scully. Well, I I couldn't figure I was like mm, if this is the direction they're going I don't want to watch this. And again, I stopped it probably like 7 minutes in. So I don't know. I don't know and I don't want to speak uh ill of it because I again I, sure. I think Lord does some really cool episodes, but I, I, when they, when they were going so heavily on the ghost, I was like, I am not going to keep watching this. I haven't seen it since it came out. So it's been a really long time. So I truly don't remember if it's yeah. like super ghosty or not, but now I kind of want to rewatch it. And I, find I sort out. of wanted to watch it after the fact, but I thought in terms of research, I was like, this is probably no. not well, and I didn't realize I'd not really watched the show before. I've listened to the podcast, but um mm-hmm. the show is is much more dramatized. It depends on the season. So like this is actually really a really great segue. Creepy critics corner. Creepy so let's talk about lore since we're talking about it. Okay. Um, the show lore mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime, which I don't really like supporting Amazon Prime, but you know sometimes we use it. So there's that. There's that. Um, but uh, season one and season two are very different. Season one oh, okay. is um, similar to the podcast in the sense that like there's a topic with multiple stories in it some of it's like animated some of it's acted okay but there's like multiple storylines within an episode okay and then season two is very much one story per episode fully dramatized so like it's it's very different season wise they just did a totally different take on it um so if you haven't seen season one, I think you would like it. So watch it. No, have. it's it's kind of been again. I I enjoyed the podcast, and I think the the show has been kind of on my list to get to. And it's just I, have, I know you have so many things on your list. My my list is far too long. Yeah, I I started watching, and I was like, this is not what I thought it would be. I thought it would be a lot more documentary styles, maybe not the right word, but but less dramatized, I l- think. Less dramatized. Yeah. I I dramatize like I can appreciate a well dramatized factual driven episode of something, but I will say I find them less enjoyable because I get really caught up in how much is speculation. Especially if you're dealing with one that is ghost related in a story that you already did the research that it's not right. really a ghost related topic. So like, I totally get that. I, I mind less if it's something where we're dealing with like a trial and there's transcripts. But right. when you're when you're dealing with dramatized conversations, I, I always get a little mm, about um 
Yeah. Same thing for when I'm reading a, a true crime book or, or, I mean, again, any podcast I listen to when they start to get really, uh, when they're talking about a conversation that would have happened before somebody died. And I'm like, unless the killer revealed you this, that. Yeah, yeah. I question that all the time, actually, when they talk yeah. about like a reenactment or a story of, uh, a person who was murdered. Yeah. And- they weren't there to tell the story. I always wonder, like, where did you get this information from? Did you get it from the killer? And if not, where did this information come from? I get really caught up in that. Like, I get distracted by it, which is, again, that's kind of on me. I mean, I do Um, too. I do too. So I totally feel you. Although I will say, we can, we can, this this can be a part of Creepy Critic Corner, although I'm going to have to look up what it was called. There was some, because I was a big shark week fan. Uh, I don't watch as religiously as I used to because it's become a lot more about, I don't know, Air Jaws, which um, <laughs> a shark racing Michael Phelps. I don't know. It's weird. Um, wait, is that right? Is that the I don't game? know. I have I no know. idea it's, what you're talking I know. about. It's, you don't ever watch Shark Week? No. I really like Shark Week when it was like about the sharks. Um, that makes not, sense. It, not some of the weird kind of sensationalized stuff, but there was, this was years ago, there was an episode of it that went into the real life story that inspired Jaws, which is actually about a series of shark attacks that happened on the Jersey shore. It dramatizes the original attacks that happened on the Jersey shore. And it's, I'll have to look up the name. It's actually, it's, it's really interesting and very well done for a, you know, little shark week special. So, uh, anyway, what have you been watching Gabby? I've been watching trash TV. Um, That's okay. We all watch trash TV. I feel like it's just been, you know, I've had a rough couple of weeks, man. So yeah, yeah. I've needed some uh, trash TV to make me feel better about my life. So I've been yeah. watching 90 Day Fiance and yeah. it is wild, man. Like, if we're not you. looking at things like horror in the perspective of horror, this is like horror as in this is someone's real life, guys. The, the human condition of horror. Yes. And I've been <laughs> listening to uh, 90 Day Bay, which is a podcast that follows 90 Day Fiance nice. through Patreon with Nicole Byer and Marcy Jero, who is a writer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. So they're both very funny together. And so that has been my main source of entertainment. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend it if you don't like this kind of stuff. And it's definitely not like are classic creepy. It's creepy because there is definitely some, there are some creepy people on there that I would never trust with a person 20 years younger than them from another country. But that's just me. Um, But I actually have also been reading a book that is about Fox Hollow Farm, Mm, which I'll dangle that in front of you. So Mm -hmm. that way you know what to expect coming soon to podcasts near you, Mm -hmm. aka Ghoulish Tendencies. Um, So We'll be doing an episode on that in the future. So I'm currently doing a bit of research by reading that. And I'll talk a little bit more. I'll tell you what the title is and all that jazz when we get into the episode. I just don't want to really give it away now. Um, But I will tell you, I am very excited about something, two things coming up that I have not yet seen because they're not out yet. But one is that the X-Files are coming out with a new show. TBD on when that's coming out. Apparently, the new show has nothing to do with Fox or Dana, meaning uh, Mulder and Scully are and Scully. You know, people. Um, but it's supposed to be kind of like a offshoot off that. So I'm really excited to see how that unfolds. Yeah. I did finish Evil. 
So I oh, went through yeah. all yeah. of the episodes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very good. You got to watch it, Kim. It's so amazing. It's on CBS if you guys haven't yeah. seen it. Um, that is a paranormal inspired drama that's involved with forensic psychology and yeah. um, research as well as um, demons and demonology and like how that is involved <laughs> in like everyday life, which you wouldn't really expect, but the way they do it is very good. And yeah. it's not like tacky or like dumb in the way that we've seen <laughs> be presented in the past. Right. Um, so that's something, I'm sorry, I interrupted myself, but that's something that out, is out there that you can watch. The other thing that um, I'm excited about is the new season of The Haunting on of Hill House. Oh, yeah, the teaser Netflix. trailer is out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just came out, mm-hmm. um, and it's called The Haunting of Blythe Manor, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and is. it is based on... Uh, the turn of the screw, which mm-hmm. is which is oh, I love that story. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So that's my plethora of All different right. options. I'm either like full horror, right, comedy, or trash TV. So choose your pick. Of I mean, you again, like. I've kept Parks and Rec on a really steady rotation on my television. Oh, I love Parks uh, and Rec. Such yeah, a great that's show. that's one of my go to happy shows. Um, I love that show so much. I am smack dab in the middle of 100 Days of Horror. Yes, you are. I've watched a lot of crappy movies, let me tell you. More crappy than not crappy. It's because you've seen so many horror movies. Now you've gotten down to those. I mean, I've watched a couple that have been kind of fun. I watched one uh, recently. It's a new one. It came out on Shudder. It is called Random Acts of Violence. Oh. It is about a comic book artist, graphic novel artist he he's created this comic book on um the serial killer that had been around like a decade before and it's sort of from his perspective but as he's going around to figure out his final issue uh murders start up again oh and it's it's very stylized like the the lighting was very giallo inspired you can tell that the you know lots of reds and purples and but it it's it's a really interesting look at kind of the the celebrity of murder i think a little bit too the way we glamorize killers totally and and questioning whether or not that is something we should be doing uh which is something that i feel like we deal with a lot when we are trying to cover some of these cases uh yeah i, I agree Sure. Yeah, paying paying respect to the victims and and not glamorizing, in, in not glamorizing the kills uh, or the killers for that matter. But uh, no, it, it's a really solid film. Uh, the the ending went a little off the rails for me, but that's most horror films. The endings kind of go off the rails. I also watched something. This was a pleasant surprise. I watched a movie called uh, Life Changer. Little indie horror film. It's body horror too, which is not always my cup of tea. But uh, basically about a man who is able to stay alive by shape-shifting into other people, but in doing so, like he takes on them and he drains them and uh, becomes them, gets their memories, gets their appearance. And meets a girl who oh. he falls for and you kind of go through him re-encountering her in various <laughs> different people that he's stolen their likeness and killed wow. them. that's creepy but it actually sounds really interesting it, it was a it was a really pleasant surprise it was a again it's it's a, a super low budget um kind of indie horror film mm-hmm 
and I was not expecting, I, I had very low expectations going in, which I usually do. If it's something I haven't heard of and it, it, it's indie, it can kind of go either way. Um, well, that way you don't get let down or like exactly. frustrated. Yeah. But uh, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. It nice. was, uh, yeah, it was a little, it's, it's always nice too when I, when you don't have expectations and something ends up kind of being delightful. So yeah. uh, that was, uh, that was a really fun, well done little movie. And that was a very pleasant surprise. So I would, I would recommend that. Thanks for the recommendations. I feel like we had some good recommendations this episode. Shameless plug. We have an upcoming Tea and True Crime on Sunday, September 20th. Yes. 4 p.m. online on Zoom. We're going to be covering Israel Keys. Oh, you've been dying to do that one. I have because if you are not familiar with him, holy shit, he is something. And also, just for those of you that don't know what teen true crime is, so oh, yeah. Kim, <laughs> in in one of her side gigs, because she has been doing um, ghost tours forever. Mm-hmm. I created the murder tour that yes. Spooked in Seattle does. And since Spooked in Seattle can't open until we are in phase, I don't know, four or something like that. I don't know. It's something that we're far away from opening. Um, yeah, we have been doing our online event, teen True Crime, which originated in person. We focus on a specific crime and or killer online. And while so, you drink uh, tea. While you drink tea or you something else. You get the tea when you drink the tea. Right? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> or some people have showed up drinking wine, so you can drink whatever you want. But uh, yeah, we'll be covering Israel Keys next. We just did Ed Kemper, which was mm-hmm. a good time. And uh, yeah, it should be, should be very interesting. He is a, if you were not familiar with him, you should be. He is fascinating. And, and it's basically like a live podcast, but with a visual reference of a PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. So if you like our podcast, you would love Tea and True Crime. And it's just featuring Kim. It's her deal. So you should check it out on Spooked in Seattle mm-hmm. and uh, sign up and tell yeah. your friends because it doesn't matter where you are. You can true. participate no matter what. I think it's um, like 10 bucks. So, you know, no big deal. No big deal. But thanks to everybody who listens and for our reviews. And shout out to Benny on Apple Podcasts for giving us a wonderful review talking about how nice it is to have two female people discussing hauntings, true crime, and what have you. (laughs) It is a very heavily male environment. So (laughs) thanks, Benny. Yeah, thank you, you, Benny. And thanks for acknowledging that and for enjoying it. And uh, so glad that you found us. And having said that, if you haven't checked out, Apple Podcasts has a way to review and rate the podcast. It really helps us gain exposure to others. Thanks for those of you who have recently followed us on Instagram. We now have over a thousand followers, which is very exciting. Um, Our Instagram is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We usually post pictures sometimes some stupid memes, you know, some kind of fun stuff to keep you smiling and look up some information on our previous um, episodes and our current episodes. So follow us on there. You can also contact us if you have any feedback, love everything that we do. If you want to give us any kind of uh, shout outs, we'd love to hear from you too. Uh, You can also check out our website. It has all of our show notes, references, in case you're curious to see how we got this information that we provided to you. It is ghoulishtendencies.com. And you can also listen to all episodes on there. If you ever have an issue loading anything on there, you can also check us out at Transistor as well for our website there. And just look up Ghoulish Tendencies podcast on there. 
We also have a Twitter account. It is Ghoulish Podcast. We also have a Facebook page, which is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Basically, if you haven't gotten a hint now, I'm sorry. Here, you sense the theme in all right? of this. <laughs> and we even have a Patreon. We are currently in the process of updating our Patreon. So yeah. thank you for your patience with that. Um, we're going to try to send out some fun goodies to you guys in the next few weeks. So uh, for those of you that do not help uh, contribute to Patreon, I can't help you. You got to help us help you. So sign up for Patreon so we can send you some goodies yeah. and have some exposure to some cool stuff that you can't get just by listening so having said that thank you for listening and stay spooky